0: You're listening to That Music Podcast with me, Bryson Tarbett. I'm the music educator and blogger behind That Music Teacher and ThatMusicTeacher.com. Join me as I dive into what it really means to be a music educator. I hope that you're able to find a nugget of inspiration each week as I share my favorite ways to create purposeful instruction through active music making. Along the way, you'll hear from some of my amazing colleagues as they share practical advice that you can apply to your own classrooms. So grab a coffee... Sit down, and let's get started. This episode is brought to you by Thriftbooks. Thriftbooks.com is the largest online seller of used books in the United States. They pride themselves on offering the lowest everyday price on used books on the web, with over 13 million books in stock. Everything from classic children's books like The Little Engine That Could to the latest thriller by John Grisham. I've used Thriftbooks for years now, and I can't recommend them enough. To save 15% on your first order, plus free shipping, go to thatmusicteacher.com slash thriftbooks. Again, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com slash thriftbooks to save 15% on your first order, plus free shipping. I cannot wait for you to hear this episode. I have been waiting forever to record this episode with Ann Molesky, and I cannot wait for you to hear Anne talk about her music teacher journey. Anne Maleski is an elementary music specialist in Eastern Washington. She is certified in Orff Schulwerk, Kodai, Smithsonian Folkways, World Music Pedagogy, Music Learning Theory Elementary General Level 1, and has completed coursework in Dalcro's Eurythmics. She's a regular clinician at local chapter workshops, state music conferences, and has presented at both the American Orff Schulwerk Association and Organization of American Kodai Educators National Conferences. In the summers, she has served as a pedagogy instructor for Kodai teacher education programs at both the American Kodai Institute at Loyola, Maryland, and the Plano ISD SMU Kodai certification program in Dallas, Texas. Anne currently serves as a conductor for the Spokane Area Youth Choruses and founded the ABC Early Childhood Program for Young Singers through SAYC. She presents regularly at local, state, and national workshops and conferences on topics including purposeful movement and curricular sequencing in the elementary classroom. She's the founder of com and the Anacrusic Podcast, where she helps music teachers get more intentional with their teaching through trainings, custom curriculum, and weekly podcasts. Without further ado, the wonderful Anne Molesky. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to That Music Podcast. I am super excited to have Ann Molesky here today to talk about her music teacher journey. Thank you so much for joining me today, Anne.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Bryson. I'm excited. This will be fun.
0: All right. So, Anne, before we get started a little bit, can you tell us a little about yourself, you know, where you went to college and where and what do you currently teach in the music educational space?
1: Oh, yeah. So I'll give you the abridged version here. So um, I'm originally from the state of Michigan and um, I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Michigan in trumpet performance. And then I went on to do a master's in trumpet performance in music ed at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, where I kind of discovered the wonderful world of music education. Um, and that's where I started my teaching career. So I taught um, preschool music for a couple of years and then kind of made my way into the K-5 general music space. Um, after some time in Dallas, I went on to pursue a year of doctoral work at Indiana University and loved, loved, loved my time there. Um, and then my husband was actually transferred out to the Pacific Northwest. So we now live in Spokane. I um, left my program at IU to come out here and be with my husband <laughs> and, um, and have been teaching K5 music out here. But currently, I am one of the conductors for the Spokane Area Youth Choruses. And I also spend a lot of time working with other music teachers, thinking about their curriculum and doing some professional development type stuff. And it's worked out to be a really, a really cool experience to be able to both be working with kids and also be working with teachers. So that's kind of where I am now.
0: I love that. I know that I've um, you know, heard a little bit about your music teacher journey through your podcast. So I can't wait to kind of dive in a little bit deeper today.
1: Oh, yeah. It's a winding one. So buckle up. <laughs> Buckle up. So, So, Anne,
0: other than teaching, what's something that you're really passionate about and that just brings you joy in your life?
1: Yeah, so I have – I can't not say something about my two little girls. So I have um, a three-and-a-half-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. And and they are busy, busy bees. And they bring me lots and lots of joy. And I love being a mom. Um, I also just love, like – creative endeavor. So one of my favorite things about being a music teacher is, you know, some of the teachery stuff, right? Like being able to just be creative and, you know, making fun lessons and presentations and all that kind of stuff for your kids. And a lot of that, kind of branches into my personal life too. So like I am a home decor freak. Like I love to do like DIY products or products, projects and like all of that kind of stuff. And so um, just anything that allows me to be really, really creative and then things that allow me to be outside. So one of the reasons my husband and I always wanted to move out West being from Michigan is because we wanted to live somewhere where there were mountains. So where we live right now, there's lots and lots of lakes. Of course, Michigan's like the the queen or king state of the lakes if you will but um out here you have lots of mountains and lakes and trails and things that we can do and stay really really active and be outside so um things with nature and just being creative just totally light me up and then of course family so so yeah
0: Awesome. So I was—I've only been to the Pacific Northwest once in my life, and I have to say, it is the most beautiful place in the entire world. So I can't like whenever you post like a Snapchat or something, or not a Snapchat, like an Instagram story of like Uh the mountains or like the area around where you live, I'm just like, oh my goodness, I miss it.
1: Oh yeah, we love it. We love it so much. Um, You know, it's one of those things that we had never been out here until my older brother moved out here and we came to visit and, you know, my husband's from Michigan too. And then we lived in Texas and, you know, everything's pretty flat in both of those places. And then um, coming out here, we, we just decided that if we ever had the chance to live out this way, we would. And so when Adam got the opportunity to, to have a bit of a promotion, but then also just to make that transfer, it was a no-brainer for us. So super exciting. We love it. We'll never leave. <laughs> We're here for forever. So I can say love that pretty that. confidently. Yeah, pretty confidently.
0: Love that. All right. So let's go ahead and dive into your music teacher journey today. So. What really led you to pursue a degree in music in general? And then how did you end up with the music education side of things?
1: Yeah. So again, I'll try to make this the abridged version because we could go out off in a million different ways. So um, <laughs> growing up, I uh, my dad was a high school band director in my small town. He's always, you know, he does composition and arranging and he's always just been, instilling the love of music in me and my brothers from a very, very, very young age. And, you know, growing up, I took piano lessons from the time I was five. I was in um, the Michigan State University Children's Chorus. That was a big part of my life. And then I was really focused on my trumpet and doing all state. And, you know, all those stereotypical things that we do growing up being serious about our instrument. And I remember when I was a senior in high school, everybody was like, oh, well, you're going to go major in music. And me being the stubborn, defiant person that I am decided, well, actually, I'm not going to go do that because that's not all that I am. Well, I went to college not as a music major (laughs) and realized that it really is not all that I am, but a huge part of who I am. So my first semester in college, I was not in the music school. It wasn't until December of my freshman year at U of M that I was like, I like something is drastically missing from my life. And I went and I talked to folks in the at the music school and um, the trumpet professor there and ended up transferring into the school of music my second semester of my freshman year. So it took me kind of going away from it to realize that I really needed it in my life um, and then went on to pursue that, that degree in trumpet performance and then went on to do a master's as well at SMU in Dallas. And while I was in my master's program at SMU, I was randomly assigned assigned to the music education department as my teaching assistantship. And um, that's where I met Julie Scott. And it was really through my, my um, Dr. Julie Scott, I should say, it was really through my conversations with her and some things that I was just thinking about in terms of teaching and what I wanted my life to look like and all of that kind of stuff that brought me to then wanting to pursue music education as a career path. And I should also say, even perhaps a bigger part, it was a, it was a combination of my conversations with Julie. And then as a, like part-time job to supplement, you know, my graduate student poor income Um, when I was doing my master's degree, I was also teaching private preschool music and I absolutely loved it. And I remember I would spend, you know, my hours in the practice room and I would like that, but it was really those moments during the day that I would go and teach preschool music class that I would be like living for. And I realized, you know what, this is really where I feel at home. This is really what I'm excited about. This is what I need to be doing. And so that's when I went on to pursue a master's in certification in music ed, and then went on to teach in, in the DFW area for a while. So it was a winding path, but everything kind of happened exactly as it was supposed to. And so I'm really grateful for those those mentors and those those people who, who saw that little bit of spark in me and realized that that I needed to be doing this,
0: so. Oh my goodness. I love that. I love that story. And just, again, how everything just kind of worked out the way it needed to. And Mm -hmm. that's one thing that, as I've been having these conversations with other music teachers about their music teacher journey, I realized that very seldomly does someone say, all right, I graduated high school and I'm like, I'm going to be an elementary music teacher. And then I did. Like, (laughs) There's so many ups and downs and, you know, career choices and changes. And I think it's it's so interesting how many of us in the field of music education, especially elementary music education, mm-hmm. that just kind of ended here by chance and then immediately fell in love with it.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things where growing up, you know, my... My music ed experience in elementary school, I kind of remember the classic things that everybody else remembers, right? Like I remember playing recorder and I remember putting on a play and stuff. And I'm not saying that my music teacher wasn't great. It's just, I think that elementary music ed has changed a lot in the last, you know, I'm not going to age myself, but however many decades. And so, um, you know, I think because of that, I didn't have a very clear understanding of what it would mean to even be an elementary music teacher. For me, if I was going to go into music ed, it would have been to be a band director. And I knew I didn't want to do that. You know, I had grown up, my dad is an amazing educator. And I admire everything that he did. He really made a lot of impact on a lot of different people, you know, me and my friends growing up, and my brothers included. But I just knew I didn't want that life. I knew that wasn't really for me. And so it wasn't until I started to get a little peek at what early childhood and general music really looked like that I was like, Oh yeah, this is where it's at. This is where I'm supposed to be. So it was more of like, you know, I was getting my my certification and my degrees in education, but I was getting an education as to what the education <laughs> would actually look like because it was so different than what I had experienced growing up. For
0: yeah. sure. I think that so many of us, when we go into music education, it's kind of the easy answer to go into high school like that, that, that modality of music education because we just did it. You know, we, we remember it. We know what, at least what it was in our situation. Um, but like, honestly, I don't remember much about my elementary music, um, education that much at all. So again, just like you were saying, you know, It was, you know, I went into music education, but it really was figuring out what elementary music education was um, and kind of and also realizing what I wanted it to be and kind of picking the parts that I, I, you know, felt like I agreed with and felt like eh, maybe not so much and, you know, forming it into my own philosophy of elementary music education.
1: Yeah, 100 percent, because there's so I mean, there's so many different amazing pedagogues out there who are sharing what they're doing and, you know, different approaches that have kind of come to fruition again in the last several decades that people have interpreted their own ways. And there's just so many different ways that you can approach it to really make yourself feel feel like it's the place for you, I guess. So.
0: Exactly. So, Anne, I would love for you to tell me a little bit about um, how you ended up in your current position with the Children's Choir.
1: Yeah, so when I moved to Spokane, I um, came into contact with the artistic director, actually through Julie Scott, the person who (laughs) helped me to realize that I was supposed to be um, a music educator, because she had done a workshop out here for the local ORF chapter. And so when she found out I was moving here, she's like, oh, well, let me link you up with their current ORF chapter president. And that just happened to be someone who is the artistic director of the area youth chorus. And so through my conversations with her, you know, we had a bunch a couple times, and um, talking about like the area. She's just helping me get acclimated to a totally different place than I'd ever lived before, mm-hmm. and kind of the music ed scene here and everything. And she mentioned the youth chorus, and I I asked her, oh, like what what age group does the youth chorus start at? And she said, oh, well, our youngest choir starts at seven. And I was like, light bulbs just went off in all directions. And I was like, well, if you ever wanted to do something that started at like kinder or first grade, I would love to do something like that. Um, Because my experience with the Indiana University Children's Choir, they had um, a First Voices group that started at about that age group. Um, And then um, also my experience, you know... In being in children's choir myself, and then some other different groups that I just knew about, I knew that a lot of a lot of places had that kind of early childhood start, head start for kids, and so um, I basically like pitched <laughs> creating this group to the to the board of um, of the youth chorus, and they wanted to give it a go, and so that's a group that has been a part of the youth chorus. Um, the youth course family, I guess you can say, since I moved here, how many years ago now? Five, six, almost six. So, um, so yeah, so it was something that I realized, you know, I love teaching like kindergarten, first grade, and they don't have a group like this for this particular organization. And I knew that, you know, it's a big family organization where a lot of siblings are in different choirs at different levels. And so anybody who had a younger sibling, they were kind of sitting in the hall waiting for a big brother or big sister to be done with choir. And it's like, well, we could have a place for them, too. And it's really turned out to be an, an awesome, awesome experience.
0: That is so cool. I didn't realize that you kind of pitched your own, you know, choir, like the own age group. I love that. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> well, it was, just, it was it was more like um, I just knew that it was an organi- organization I wanted to be involved with because I I got along with the the other directors so well, and it was just just through talking and being like, well, what if we did something like this? And they were like, yes, that would be perfect. And then it it just kind of spiraled from there. So it's really been a blessing. I I love the group, and um, you know, we we do a lot of collaborative collaborative things with all the choirs, you know, my group ages five, all the way through the high school kids. And it's it's really a family-based organization where the kids feel like they're a part of something greater than just their individual chorus. And it's a really, really special, special organization. So I'm really grateful that I'm able to be a part of it.
0: That's awesome. It does sound really special.
1: Yeah, it definitely is.
0: So Anne, in your time as a music teacher, what have been some of the biggest lessons that you've learned?
1: Oh, geez.
0: (laughs) I know big, big questions here.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think, um, I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is that you can plan and plan and plan until you feel like you can't plan anymore. And then you have to be ready to completely 100% jump on your feet when you're actually in front of kids, when you're actually in front of adults, like whatever the situation may be. Because one of the things about being a music teacher is that you can plan all of these really awesome experiences. You can you can plan all of these different ways that you're going to facilitate music making in whatever capacity it is that you're facilitating it. But, um, you know, since becoming a mom, I feel like I'm always equating teaching to being a mom <laughs> because you you can <laughs> plan for certain things, but it's not just about you. It's always about that unknown variable, which for us as music teachers are those kids in our classroom. And if we're really, really planning experiences and really thinking about music teaching as a way for students to kind of come into their own musically and creatively and all of that good stuff, there has to be space for them to adapt as they feel that individuality, as they feel that creativity. And that's not going to always follow a lesson plan. So the biggest lesson that I have learned is, okay, I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to have this idea of what my lesson is going to look like. And in a lot of cases, you can stick to that. But there has to be room to breathe. There has to be room for you to not finish whatever lesson you had planned because kids are taking you in this completely other direction that is way more meaningful for them and accomplishing way more than whatever your learning objective might be on the board for that day. So So I guess the biggest lesson overall is like, okay, I'm going to plan, I'm going to be prepared, I'm going to do the best that I can for these kids, and I'm also going to be ready to adapt as they need, as I figure out exactly what it is that's going to help them and what they need most.
0: Oh my goodness. I cannot agree with that more. That is such a, one, it's a hard thing to learn. Like I am a very mm-hmm. type a Enneagram sure. three person. Like I have my things my way. Um, But as I've been in the classroom where I've realized that one, that just doesn't really work very well. <laughs> like right. allowing the kids to have more agency and just to kind of take things in a way, like you said, that wasn't something you planned, but is so much more meaningful to them and they're going to latch onto more is so important.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, I think, and that's not to say like, don't have a plan. Like I'm definitely going to have things over planned and everything planned down to the minute and whatnot. But something that I like to think about is that, you know, making a lesson plan isn't necessarily for the sake of having this lesson plan in front of you so that you can follow it to a T. Making a lesson plan is more like, here's what I want to accomplish. Here's an idea of how it should go. And actually going through the process of thinking through everything, the way that you want it to be laid out into a lesson is one thing. And then you have it kind of in your brain. Um, And you don't need to like read off exactly what it was you were going to say about this thing, that thing, or the other thing. You know what I mean? So, So yeah. So I think we really do ourselves... A better service when we go through the plan, the the process of lesson planning, and then we allow things to happen the way that they just happen organically.
0: Exactly. If I look back at like my lesson plans from college, one they're like four pages long, um, <laughs> which doesn't happen anymore.
1: <laughs> uh, <great>. um, <laughs>
0: but now like I I've you know it's, I more have like like a, a rough outline of you know this, this is the way that this lesson could go um, but one thing that I, I've that's really been helpful for me is in my lesson plans I have a section at the end like for notes so for example if we have one class that really latches onto this one song and they start taking it in a completely different direction I'm like you know what we need to go with this but we run out of time and we don't get to go to the, the song that I had planned afterwards I put that into my lesson plan in the notes so that I remember that they don't do that I I think it's important for us to be flexible too, so that we can allow these students to have those those times where they're able to take it in a way that no one thought would happen. But it's just so much better than anything we could have come up with.
1: Yeah. And what you just said is so important too. I mean, it's not that doesn't mean that whatever you had planned or whatever you thought would work well, is going to completely go out the window. It just means that when it comes time to plan For the next lesson, you think, okay, well, where did they take this? And how does that inform what you were going to do with your other activities, right? So you can build all of that in.
0: Definitely. And I think that that is a little bit of a challenge when you have multiple sections of the same grade and you're trying to keep them like near each other. But I think it's totally, totally worth it.
1: Yeah, 100%.
0: So speaking of
1: challenges,
0: let's talk about what are some of the challenges that you've had to adjust to as you've been a
1: music teacher? Yeah, I can't I can't help but think about so I'm part time with the youth course now, um, which allows me to do some some other things with um, you know, providing professional development and whatnot for music teachers. But when I was full time in the classroom here locally, I was in a very unusual position because what happened was I was hired mid year because we moved out here in like November or something like that, um, maybe October. But anyway, I was hired, so not even mid year. I was hired not at the start of the year, let's put it that way. And um, I uh, was kind of in a a very part-time position my first couple of months in the the local school district here. And then what happened was there's been a lot of growth, right? And as we know, when there's a lot of growth, that means that like all of the quote unquote special teachers start going around like ping pong balls while they're trying to cover all of the things. So what happened was I ended up (laughs) being split between four different schools. And oh my goodness. <laughs> that was really challenging, it was just for one year, but still four different schools. It was really, really challenging, because I had one school where I taught 20 sections of kindergarten, which I adored, like some people, I'm sure, like gasp or lose their or drop their coffee or whatever, when they hear that, but I absolutely loved it. Um, but then what happened was I had those like 20 sections of kindergarten, and then I'd have two sections of, like, random grade levels everywhere else. And so what was challenging about that is I was going in, and those kids had never seen me before. They knew I probably wasn't going to be their music teacher after that year, and I wasn't, like, a fixture. That's not the right word, but I think it implies what I'm going for. But I wasn't, like, a a fixture in their school campus, right? Like, I didn't really feel like a real teacher to them, because I was just coming in for their class and one other class or whatever it might be. And it was one of those things where since I wasn't like the quote unquote main music teacher, I wasn't really, not in charge, but I wasn't really calling the shots for a lack of a better way to put it. And so, you know, for me, you know, you mentioned that you, you're very type A, you like things the way that you like them. Well, I am definitely the same way. And so it was really tricky for me to work collaboratively not not because I had to work collaboratively, but because I was having to change the way that I taught at all four of those different schools, because there wasn't any continuity in terms of curriculum necessarily, or like even rhythm syllables. Like there was just a lot that was different that I felt like I was constantly having to adjust. But what I what I learned through all of that is that regardless of what, I sound so silly, but regardless of what rhythm syllables I had to use at this school or that school, and regardless of what kind of rap or what like the main learning targets were here, there, or the other place, the core of what I was teaching kids and the way that I was teaching them and the things that were important to me in my music classroom could still hold true. So even though it was a challenge to try to like constantly be be adapting, which I think we have to do no matter where or what we're teaching in whatever situation, I, I still found that like there are some things that could remain a constant for me. And those were the things that I just needed to hold on to.
0: For sure. I love that you like turned it into like a learning moment, like spoken like a true teacher. I love that. (laughs) Um,
1: (laughs) It was a pain. Like, don't get me wrong. It was a pain. Like, it was a really hard year. It was a really hard year.
0: I'm sure it sounds like a lot of just constant adjusting. And I I can, I can kind of get behind that a little bit is at I'm also at two schools, thankfully only two, uh, but one of my, the I'm at a five, six school that I feed about a third of my kids come to me from, my elementary school. And then okay. the other two thirds come from a different elementary school with a different music teacher. So we're coming in from like different learning points. We've had, you know, a different rotation. So some get music three times a day, three a week. Some get it six weeks, six times a week, or, oh my goodness, every six days. Um, wow. But when they come to me, everything's kind of jumbled. But I like what you said about how you know, the the fundamentals of what I want in my classroom, even though we might have to discuss different rhythm syllables or talk about how we come from it from different angles, the things that are, are important to me in my classroom can still be that way.
1: Yeah. And you know, this is something that I feel like I've been talking a lot about, particularly this year, right? Because there's so many challenges, just let's just leave that blank blanket statement right there. That just a <laughs> lot of a lot of challenges, right? And I think that particularly when folks are looking at like their curriculum map or whatever else, they're like, Oh, we're behind. Oh, we haven't done this. Oh, we can't do this. Oh, we can't do the other thing. And all of those things are a million percent valid. Like it's really hard this year, but when it comes down to it, there is that silver lining of, well, yes, I want to teach these notes and rhythms, but also like, what do I want my students to, to feel like, what do I want them to be able to do? What do I want their relationship with, music making to look like overall? And how can I still accomplish that no matter what challenges are being put in front of me? And I think that that's something to remember, you know, no matter what you're doing, because very rarely, you know, are you in a a position as a music teacher, at least right now, the way our system is structured where you see your kids like every day and you're at one school and you'll be there like your entire career. And you know what I mean? Like, it's very, like, we're kind of in, unfortunately, in a little bit of the business of like switching, switching things up here and there where we're either between campuses or the schedule's not consistent or this, that, or the other thing. So while absolutely having your curriculum guide and having a clear picture of those types of uh, not tangible, but kind of <laughs> those types of concepts that you want to teach are important. I think there's a bigger, a bigger level of impact that that is important to remember as you're kind of navigating the waters as a music teacher.
0: I one thousand percent agree. Uh, again, this year has been crazy, um, and really? I've had to do a lot of soul searching to figure out how what I'm doing fits into what the world is doing. Um, So I think that really brings us into the last kind of main question, which is what have you learned in your time as a music teacher about how music education, how music education fits into the holistic education of our students?
1: Yeah. You know, I, um, I have this really vivid image of, and this is not music specific, but I think it applies. I have this really vivid memory, I should say, of. The last day of school at um, school I taught at in the Dallas area, and I was really tight with my team. I talk about that a lot. I had like the best team, at, like my art teacher, my PE teacher. Like we are all super good friends. We worked really well collaboratively, and we really put the focus on the kids, and you know, like all good teachers do. But like we just did it in a way that that was really meaningful that I'll never forget. But I remember the last day of school. And we had, it, it was a campus that was very, very mixed social, socially and economically. And um, we had a lot of kids really, really sad on the last day of school. And, you know, some of it, like the typical, like, oh, we won't see our friends as much. That's that or the other thing. But then also a lot of kids who just like school is home for them right? Like that's a big deal for a lot of our kids that we see. Like school feels like home and every part of school is home <laughs> to them, right? Like if you don't have music one week with your kids, like they're going to tell you about it. If if something feels amiss in their schedule, they're going to tell you about it. And so I think that particularly if you're working in a situation where everybody works really well together and realizes that what you do in your classroom is benefiting not just the whole child, but the whole community, that that's where a lot of the magic happens. And, you know, this relates back to what we were just talking about, about how like, yeah, the, the music literacy and fluency is important. Like we are teaching music. Like I'm a music teacher. Like that's, that's the vehicle by which I teach all of the things, but also like we're teaching music to make better people because they're learning how to interact and do different things in our classroom that they don't really have the ability to do anywhere else. And it's not just in terms of like making music or like playing instruments or singing a song. Like, yes, that's true. But it's also the way that they're, act to, they're asked to interact with each other, to interact with themselves, like to, to be reflective and all those types of things. It doesn't happen any anywhere else. And it's a part of It's important in and of itself, but it's also just part of this overall community that I hope everyone feels at their campus because I've been super fortunate um, to feel that way in almost all of my teaching scenarios, even the one where I was (laughs) going between four different campuses. Like, it still felt like music was an important piece of the puzzle and was valued by the school community.
0: Exactly. I think we need to and by we, I mean like the entire educational community need to make sure that we're all working together and valuing what happens in and outside of all of our classrooms. Because like you say, you know, you know, we're music teachers. Music is what we teach. It's the vehicle that we teach them how to be people. But, you know, we're, Everything is like interrelated, and again, educating the whole student is something I'm incredibly passionate about. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just think that we need to make sure that we're, you know, standing up for ourselves when we need to, but also realizing that um, everything is changing. I I love how you say, you know, teaching is situational, time bound, and ever changing. Um, Mm -hmm. That is one of my favorite things that you say, and I think it's really (laughs) important for us to remember.
1: Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And the thing is, is that you know i i think it's easy it's easy too if you're not thinking about your music classroom as a piece of a puzzle to so get really frustrated because i think i think that most of our administrators, I want to believe this anyway, most of our administrators and, and kind of the powers that be, if you will, recognize that the whole child and education of the whole child, including music, is a really important piece and that every piece of the puzzle is important. And so I think the more that we can, like you say, the more that we can believe that as, as music teachers, that we're part of like the greater good and not the only good, the better that will serve us just all around.
0: All right. And I have been loving this conversation so much. I don't want it to end, but (laughs) I wonder about your time. And thank you so much for being here. But before we end up, will you share some pieces of advice for either those that are in school to become music teachers or those that are considering joining us in our noble task?
1: (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, Yeah, I think for me, the biggest thing to do all the time, no matter where you are in thinking about a career, even if you've been teaching for however long, is just to consistently be a sponge and to not think that the way that you're doing things or the way that this person's doing things or your teacher's doing things is the only way that there is to be a music teacher. Because for as many different music teachers there are in our universe, there's that many different ways to teach music. And it really does come down to how you feel most musical and how you're able to translate that to kids. So if you feel like, oh, music teaching isn't for me, it's probably because if music is important in your life, it's probably because you haven't seen enough different ways to teach. So just be a sponge and gather up as much information as you possibly can. And as many experiences as you possibly can with other music teachers,
0: such a wonderful advice, ian okay. so where can we find more of you on the internet?
1: Yeah, so um, you could head to like the central hub of all the things at Anne A N N E Maleski M I L E S K I dot com or Anacrusic with a C at the end dot com takes you to the same place, and there you can find all the things. You can find a couple of free resources, the Anacrusic podcast. You can find my social handles and everything else. So that's probably the easiest place to start.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much, Anne, for taking some time and talking with me and sharing the winding road that is your music teacher journey.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me, Bryson. It was fun.
0: If you found this episode helpful at all, I would really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Not only does this help me understand what you find most helpful, it also helps more music educators just like you find the podcast. To check out the show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned, head on over to thatmusicteacher.com slash show notes.